0: You're listening to the Thirty Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to another episode of the Thirty Podcast. Brought to you by Lakers SBN. Don't forget to check us out at uh, silverscreenenroll.com We have you covered everything Lakers. Some of the best writers in the business, updating content daily. You can check us out on Twitter at Lakers SBN. I'm at Jazz Kang Twenty One. Uh, Recording this on a Thursday night after a crazy Spurs and Thunder game. LaMarcus Aldridge dropped 56 tonight. Uh, Russell Westbrook, 24 dimes. You don't see that very often, although he is a triple-double machine. Uh, The panic here in L.A. starting to slow down a little bit. Lakers ended up winning a couple of games without LeBron James. They were struggling originally, but look like they're getting back on track. Uh, Kuzma did his best Kobe impression. 41 points, zero assists over the Pistons, so somewhere the Mamba is smiling at that stat line. Now, if you saw some of the highlights or read some funny stuff on Twitter, chances are it has to do with my guest tonight from the Action Sports Network and, unfortunately, New York Knicks fan, Rob Perez. Thanks for coming on tonight, man. How are you going to drop the New York Knicks thing even before I say a word?
1: (laughs) We've known each other for all of 10 seconds here, and you're bringing up the Knicks season already.
0: It's a a good way to segue into into, uh, how how lowly it is to be be a Knicks fan. And Lakers fan felt your pain for the last five years, so they'll understand where you're at. You know what I mean? Well, haven't you heard
1: the expression you only get one chance to make a first impression? Right now, <laughs> right now you're on I don't know if I'm allowed to say bad words on here, but you're on the
0: list to start <laughs> off. So That's it. You're ready, you ready to end the podcast already, right? Yeah. A minute in. That's it.
1: It's all good. We 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 deserve it. We've we we've earned the right to be made fun of. So it's all
0: good. Is it, is it Dolan going to be, that, that's going to be the problem until that's rectified, where this is how the Knicks are going to be? Because I used to love watching the Knicks play. I mean, remember the NBA on NBC, the triple headers and stuff, and even as they got with Latrell and, and Larry Johnson in those days. Um, what's the big issue with the Knicks in your opinion?
1: Well, I, I mean, we're, this is supposed to be a Lakers podcast, right? I could go on for an hour about the damn Knicks. But <laughs> it, just concerning Dolan, like, we see, I feel like we see a story every three months about how he's ready to finally sell the team. And even if he said tomorrow... I will sell the New York Knicks. He is the chairman of a publicly traded company in Madison Square Garden. The Knicks play in Madison Square Garden. There's the network. He runs a near monopoly of cable vision here in Manhattan and the outlying areas. He owns the cable networks. It's not as easy as just him saying, I want to sell. It would take years to get approved. So when that day finally comes, then I'll begin the process of maybe the Knicks can be freed.
0: Well, you know, I, I think it's the same thing with the, with the Knicks as it is with, with the Lakers. Like, w- when those teams are relevant, and I mean, the Knicks, they had a bit of a run there with, with Carmelo and, and uh, Stoudemire and stuff, but it, the league is just better when, when you have your signature teams being good. Like, Boston's been on the come up now for a little while with with every the, all the moves that Danny Ainge has made after, um, you know, they got rid of KG, Pierce, and, and Ray Allen. But, I mean, w- when you look at the, the Knicks and the Lakers, they're just like historical franchises and everything is better with it. I, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that when, you know, hopefully I, every time I see a, a, a James Dolan might sell, I get happy. I'm not a huge, you know, I'm not a Knicks diehard, but I, I miss, you know, when the gardens popping in and everybody's into it, what do you think it's going to take? Is it Zion coming to come into the team? That's going to start kind of getting the the interest back in, into the Knicks or where it should be.
1: Zion would help RJ Barrett would help. And so would Kevin Durant. Uh, the Knicks got a, Make a couple moves, whether it's getting not getting rid of, but trading Courtney Lee or Tim Hardaway to open up that max spot, even for the Hail Mary chance of getting Durant uh, convincing him to come play with the likes of Kevin Knox and Frank Milikina is a little bit different than the Hamptons five. So uh, only, <laughs> only time will tell. But you know what? The Knicks are headed in, a, in the right direction as long as they don't mess up and blow that salary cap space. They've worked so hard to achieve and a good draft pick and young players that are going to be under on the roster for seven years because no rookie uh, at, at the level of a Porzingis or potentially a Kevin Knox turns down that rookie extension. Like, they go into restricted free agency, and they get, they're get they going to get matched. So those guys, if you're able to develop them, they can stay on your team for a really long time. And the Lakers are going to benefit in the same way with Ingram, Hart, Lonzo, all these top draft picks. They're going to be Lakers for a long time unless they get traded, Segway, for someone like Anthony Davis or uh, signing a Kawhi Leonard or whatever we discuss.
0: Oh, you know, you're, you're right on that. But, I mean, I, you know, I've been, I've been following the Lakers, obviously, for, for a long time now. But if you look at uh, the way the roster is made up, and they've looked pretty good the last couple of games. I think, obviously, getting Kuz back uh, has been a huge help. But, you know, you mentioned Hart, Lonzo, Ingram, these, you know, the young guys. A lot, a lot of expectations coming into this season. I mean, I, I remember, you know, once LeBron actually ended up signing here, uh, it was like, a, you know, although they have the young guys, they're going to make the leap. Uh, I think other than Kuz, you know, Ingram and Lonzo have been up and down at best. I mean, they've had a, a lot more worse games than they have good. And when you look at those three and, and you know, you see how this team's going to be put together going forward. If you had to trade one of them, you had Rob Palenka's hat on and Magic Johnson's hat on. If you had to look at trading one of those three right now just to try and make your team better for the short term, not even looking at Anthony Davis yet. Who would it be out of those guys?
1: Oh, man. Well, first and foremost, like the likes of Luka Doncic and the Jason Tatums and the Ben Simmons have spoiled us because we expect these guys to be all-star level players as soon as they come into the league. Otherwise, they're struggling or they're not developing fast enough. We do have to remember here that Lonzo, Kuz, Hart, all these guys are within two years of being NBA players. So until we get to that end of the first rookie contract, like the Dragon Bender would be a good example of someone who has had his time on the Suns to develop and get there and he's probably going to be what we like to call a bust, right? That he wasn't worth that high of a draft pick. There's still plenty of time here. So I'm not saying give up on these guys by any means, but if we're ranking the 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 tradable Lakers young players here, number 1 for me in terms of guys you don't trade is Kyle Kuzma. And I actually caught some flack for this on Twitter and I'm but I'm able to back it up. I said there are 18 or the actual tweet was there's around 15 players but I actually went down the list. There's exactly 18 guys that I would trade Kyle Kuzma for in the NBA today. And that's including contracts because I'm not trading Kyle Kuzma for John Wall in his $900 million extension. <laughs> so uh, Kyle Kuzma at the top of that list. He has separated himself as arguably the second best player on the team right now uh, when all the guys are healthy or not. So I'm not trading Kuzma unless it's for the likes of an Anthony Davis. You go down the list from there. lonzo has got, you know, he's got the sheer talent, right? We see these passes in his defense, and all of a sudden he's making threes, but then he's shooting like forty percent from the foul line. So it's you're, you're getting one end of the spectrum from him or the other. And I do want to harp again on the fact that this is—he's in the middle of like his second season, right? So I'm not by any means going to say this is the Lonzo that we're going to have three years from now. So in my list of young players, I've got Kuzma one. I'm probably put Lonzo two, just because I do see the upside there. I've got Hart three. And I think Brandon Ingram is ultimately the most tradable player. But the problem is his stock is looking like the Dow Jones right now, that it's approaching a bear market. And we may have missed the window of selling Brandon Ingram at his peak. Like there was, to- there was a time when we were thinking, do you trade Brandon Ingram for Kawhi? And the potential was so high that you you had to think about it. you wouldn't have that same conversation today the, the way we've seen the season play out thus far, so I would say Ingram is the most tradable, but that's no secret, and all the other teams know that as well
0: yeah, and that, that I agree with you I mean I think Ingram you know from beginning of the beginning of the season to now he's just been a weird fit again, I'm not saying he's not he can't develop, and I'm not saying he ain't going to be good eventually, but um you know, his numbers, like he's averaging 16 a game with four rebounds. It doesn't really offer much in the assist category, although he's pretty ball dominant. Uh, he's second worst on the team in, in his pie number, you know, his player at impact estimate. Uh, Kuz, just, just been a better fit with LeBron. And, and, and to me, when I watch them play, like Kuzma has this thing about him that, you know, you, you see the aura on certain guys, like they want to be great. They, they have that from, the, from a young age. And, and, you know, the way he plays, he goes at people, whereas with Ingram, it's like sometimes I'm like, dude, why are you even on the court? It doesn't seem like you want to be there. And, and, and for him, um, you know, when you look at him now, I mean, again, like you said, he's still a young dude. Uh, he's only been in the league a few years. But what do you think his ceiling is ultimately? You're talking about Kuzma here? Sorry, Ingram, Ingram.
1: Oh, Ingram. OK, so, yeah, we're in year three with Ingram. He has that extra year, right? So this is yep. year three for him. Yeah, the the comparisons were made originally to Kevin Durant, and like I feel like every year it, it comes down a notch. Um, I, the ceiling will always remain limitless for him because of his uh, the athleticism and physicality and everything about him is just sheer talent. You're never going to be able to say he's he can't be one of the best players in the league, but you do get these Anthony Randolph, Tyrus Thomas vibes of like dudes Ooh. that. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I'm, I'm probably going to see some some interactions on my Twitter feed from that. But I'm saying that's the other end of the spectrum of those were guys that were crazy, talented, super hyped, clearly built, put on this planet to play basketball. And if you've ever seen Brandon Ingram in person, he's the tallest dude in the room. Like, I'm not convinced he's six nine or whatever he's listed at, he's always the tallest dude. And the fact that they have him playing point guard sometimes, especially with Rondo out, he's one of those few guys that can play every position on the floor. But when it comes to actually putting the ball in the hoop and in key situations, it's it's not always there, but it's early. I have to keep harping on this, that if you're going to trade him, it better be for the likes of someone like Kawhi or the Anthony Davises of the world, because his ceiling will always remain um, quite high.
0: Yeah. You look at guys like, like Victor Oladipo, who, you know, kind of developed late and, and became, you know, better and better as he went on. Even uh, I look at Mike Connolly, I know he isn't the same game to Lonzo, but I mean, if you look at his numbers as he was starting, they, they weren't great. They weren't overwhelming, but Mike Connolly's turned into a pretty damn good point guard. And some of the frustrations for Lakers fans, like switching over to Lonzo is, you know, he doesn't score that's not his game he's not going to be a guy who drops 25 points a night he he could get you you know 15 16 but i you know his assist numbers i think will, will get up and up the, the more he kind of matures and learns how to play with lebron because you're seeing him in like the sometimes like last night he had that play against the pistons where he had the block from behind the beautiful you know bounce pass he had that nice touch pass as well and you're watching him play and you're like this dude if he can put it all together and do it consistently. He's gonna be pretty damn good. He's gonna be an all-star perennially. I think, you know, ultimately going forward. On the other end, like you said, uh, he could he, he could end up being a washout. But I, I don't see that with Lonzo so far.
1: So I'll say this about whether it's Lonzo and specifically Ingram: that life will be made so much easier for these guys if they can. Pull a DeAndre Jordan and turn their free throw percentages around. And the reason why that is, is because every time Ingram goes to the rim or Lonzo goes to the rim, these defenders are thinking, I'm going to put this dude on his ass and make him go shoot free throws because guess what? He can't shoot free throws. And what that's causing is I don't want to go down there because I don't want to have to shoot free throws in a key moment. So I'm going to pull up from 18, 19 feet, something contested. That's not their game. That's not their strengths. Certainly they can step out and make a shot from time to time. But Lonzo and Ingram succeed on putting the ball on the floor and creating whether it's for themselves or somebody else. And you can't do that when you can't make free throws and you can't even get a shot up because you can't make free throws. So the theme here is I feel like there's a way to fix this. And if you make teams fear putting you on the line, it will make creating around the rim a whole lot easier.
0: Yeah. What are they doing in practice? I mean, that's what I want to know. And I always say this, you know, too. I'm like, you can't expect NBA practices. They're few and far between with the amount of travel these guys do. They play basically every second night. It's tough to get in the gym. You know, every day the coaches need these guys to rest. So when they do have the limited practice time chances are they're not sitting there saying go shoot 100 free throws. I'm like, what are these guys doing in their spare time, like chucking up alley-oops and, and half-court shots and having stupid competitions? Like, why do you think they've been struggling so much at the line? Is it a form thing? Is it just a lack of practice? Like, what is it? For,
1: for, I, I, I'm pretty confident in this answer, and it's because of what I've seen from DeAndre Jordan. So when DeAndre Jordan was shooting 40% from the foul line, All all the beat reporters and coaches were saying this dude makes everything in practice, like every free throw he takes, it goes in. And there was nothing wrong with his form. So this is a very specific case. But for him, I thought it was mental. And what we've seen from DeAndre this year is he has this routine of before every single free throw, he goes to the ball and he grips it in a very specific way. Then he walks to the foul line. He gets the ball in his hands and he asks uh, a teammate standing on the block. He asks him a question and he gets a response. And it's part of this routine. So when I see guys like Lonzo doesn't have the greatest form, but if you're below 50% from the foul line and you're an NBA player, I am going to blame it on either your there's some mental part that's not clicking and not working. So that's sometimes the hardest to fix because if you're just watching tape of yourself and you need to tuck your elbow in a little bit more, coaches can help you fix that. But coaches... It's tough for coaches to fix your brain, right, when you have these mental issues. That's why sports therapists exist. And I'm not suggesting that that's what they need to do or that's what the problem is. But it sure seems like these guys that can shoot and be NBA players and they make threes, but they can't make free throws. um, Maybe they need to change up their routine the same way that Russell Westbrook, for example, is falling apart at the free throw line, too. Like the the rule that the NBA implemented that you can't walk to half court and then, up your teammates and come back to the line has messed him up completely. So Royce Young's article on ESPN about his ritual being messed with—this is a this this was a guy who was cutting his peanut butter and jelly in a very specific diagonal fashion, and he wouldn't eat it unless it's done in an exact way. <laughs> creatures of habit, man. So why I'm bringing up Westbrook here and DeAndre is that I'm sure Lonzo and Ingram, in their own ways, just because it hasn't been reported yet, have their own rituals. And those just aren't working right now, and changing rituals is a cardinal sin for anyone that's a habit of them.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I'm not comparing myself to these guys. I played college ball back home in, in Vancouver. I could like I was like a fifty five percent free throw shooter, I think throughout my my time there. And then as I go older and I go shoot hoops now, I just it, it's so much easier, I guess because you know I mean, I mean I, I've been away from it. it's like you, you figure out what works, but you're watching you're watching these guys play um you know and like you said Lonzo's form is ugly I think Trump looked better when he was chucking the uh, chucking the uh, <laughs> the paper towels into the crowd in Puerto Rico that's a story for another day but um you right. know when you when you look at Lonzo too like I'm kind of happy his pops has been shut up the entire season why do you think LeVar has been so quiet can't can, can't daddy go in and, and, and try and teach him some free throw time because you know LeVar acts like he's one of the greatest things in sliced bread himself yeah, it's been strange that
1: he just randomly disappeared, and I'm very careful when I talk about Lavar because I know that his wife is sick. So I do oh, have a feeling okay. that there, yeah, that there may be a potential family issue, and that's why he's not being so loud because maybe he's caring for her. But uh, his absence, you know, he just he did fall off planet Earth in a sense. But there's got to be a reason because all that momentum that he built throughout the year and throughout the off season, like he was the talk of every. That doesn't just fall off planet Earth. So I'm sure there's a reason that we don't know about just yet.
0: Yeah, we, we talked uh, talked a little bit off the top about the Anthony Davis rumors that you're the agent of NBA chaos. You thrive on it. You love when, <laughs> when, when the, the conspiracy theories are going on and and the league's kind of at its best. Um, Davis, uh, everybody knows now that Davis signed with Rich Paul and Clutch Sports. Um, what do you think the chances are? Is, is that kind of the sign that this is where he's going to be and he's going to come to the Lakers?
1: I, I'm, I'm on the team of I don't know how you sit at a table with the Pelicans and they put $55 million on the table and say, you're going to turn this down. You're going to turn this down. Like we, we can offer you the most money out of any team. And that's if we don't trade you before your, your contract is up. So they kind of have a decision to make here because this offseason, they have the opportunity to offer that same extension that John we will we'll give you the Supermax. It's your time to sign. And if he turns it down... That doesn't essentially mean that he's gone because you can still sign him that summer. But if you keep him through the trade deadline, then you are risking losing Anthony Davis for completely nothing. And teams have survived. I mean, look at OKC with Durant. They survived it. Um, but do I think he's a shoe in to go to L.A.? No. Just for me personally, uh, L.A. could put a package together that would be three times better than what they got for Chris Paul back in the day. Right. That was a Eric Gordon, uh, a draft pick. Uh, Aminu, I think, was involved in there as well. And uh, You're talking about getting back a godfather package for Anthony Davis, which would probably include at least three of those young guys that we talked about. Kuzma, Ingram, Hart and Lonzo, plus draft picks, plus Cantavius Caldwell Pope. Right. We're getting into the thick of it now, but um, the, the Lakers having assets isn't the issue for me. Anthony Davis just talks about all I want to do is win, win, win. Winning and legacy means more to me than money, and that sounds like somebody to me that hasn't had fifty million dollars put in front of him. <laughs> I'm thinking of that scene from Dodgeball where uh, where Ben Stiller opens up the suitcase and goes, Have "You ever seen what a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> yeah, looks like? Yeah, yeah. And like?" And he's like, and it's like, it's it's miss it's very misleading and it's just this one little stack of hundreds 55 million dollars would be the complete opposite of that so if i'm the pelicans and he's favoriting things on instagram about not leaving the lakers and he's throwing off these vibes like he's not going anywhere and maybe trying to save face with fans i understand he's at clutch sports and that's practically lebron's agency and all the stars have aligned but There is one universal language, and that universal language is cash. And for me, I just don't know how he turns down that money for the sake of legacy. And what are we talking about here? These guys are nine-figure millionaires anyway. That doesn't matter. $55 million is still $55 million. And what's the benefit of him staying, too, is that he say, you know what? I'm going to stay in New Orleans. The city will Loves loves him already, and they'll continue to love me. It's not like he's disappointing anybody. All he'd be doing is disappointing Laker fans that thought they could get him. So I'm very much on team Anthony Davis stays until I see him turn down that cash.
0: Really, I, I feel like Dell Demps is going to find a way to, to screw this whole thing up. I mean, you know, I, I know they they had to make a decision on Boogie and. And, uh, you know, the, the money there wasn't going to, and, and Boogie's coming off, obviously, a nasty um, Achilles injury, he should be back in the lineup now. I think they're saying uh, next week, right? I think the 18th, he, he's supposed to be back uh, for, for the Warriors. But, um, you know, ultimately, if, if you're looking at it from, from a perspective of, okay, if Anthony Davis, and, and you're right, I mean, money always talks, right? That's, that's been the way of the world. It's not just the way of, in sports, it's the way in anything. And, and it bothers me sometimes when fans are like, you know, they were calling Durant uh, a sellout and and whatever. And it, it, You know, as I grew older, when LeBron originally went to go sign with uh, the Heat back in uh, 2010, I was like, oh, how could he do that? How could he do that to his team? And then you kind of, you know, you get older and you start realizing what sports is is really all about. I mean, they treat you like a commodity yourself, too. So if Anthony Davis wants to do what's best for him and and, and leave, I don't think Pelicans fans have any reason to be mad at him. The guy stuck it out with that team for so long. And he's been surrounded by nothing, really, that's going to get him to another level, which ultimately I think he'll want to go.
1: Right. So there, there are a couple of things here. And I do have some experience because I worked for the once New Orleans Hornets before they became the Pelicans. So I've been in that front office for a couple of years. You know, first and foremost, Anthony Davis is he's probably the most talented basketball player on Earth right now. So there's many categories here. There's the best basketball player on earth, which is LeBron. There's the most talented basketball player, which is Anthony Davis. There's the MVP, which is Giannis. And then there's like the best offensive player, which is Durant. So we have to get very specific here. But the most talented basketball player on earth is not the best player in the NBA because Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. And he's going to the locker room. What feels like every other game, like we see him miss an entire half, and it's been like that for his entire career. So, for someone that's getting injured that much, you may only have one chance, i.e., look at what happened to Demarcus Cousins, who missed out on a $200 million extension because of his torn Achilles. You see that happen, and you're like, I, I better put this cash in my pocket before something really serious happens to me. And then I, I alluded to working for the Hornets and what I've because I was there when Del Dems first came in and the Benson family who also owns the Saints, Mr. Benson passed away recently. So the Saints are like religion in New Orleans. And the fact now that the Bensons uh, own both teams, you know has brought the organizations together, they share practice facilities and whatnot. Before the Bensons came in, Del Demps his his job was on the line pretty much in that if you don't win a playoff series, uh, you're going to go. Like I think that's public knowledge at this point, that if he didn't perform last year, uh, he and when Monty Williams was the head coach back in the day, uh, they had ultimatums. It's just my gut feeling. That's not reporting. That's uh, just uh, intuition on my part. So let's go back to, again, before Benson takes over the team, that was his initiative. He succeeds. He gets the team to the playoffs. That first year, they lose to the Warriors. Then the, the, Pelic, the Pelicans get a big first round win against the, the trailblazers. Now I feel like just again, a personal opinion here, his, he' is betting his job on keeping Anthony Davis. Um, the directive from Miss Benson or Mrs. Benson may be different than what Mr. Benson had in mind because he was, you know, controlling the team when he was alive. So if his, if his direction for Dale Demps was, you have to keep Anthony Davis or I find someone that will. Maybe Mrs. Benson is thinking, oh, if Anthony Davis is going to leave, just make sure we get that godfather or godfather package back from the Lakers. So just remember, all direction comes from the top in the ownership. So in the past, Dale Demps is betting his job on the playoffs and betting on keeping Anthony Davis. We don't know today if that's still the case. um, But if it is, he's going to ride it out. Because what's the benefit of me trading him away for a godfather package just to make the guy who's coming in after me's job easier? That's not what he's going to do. Like, that's the problem with GMs is they're a lot of times they have to be looking out for themselves uh, and not doing what the job for the person that comes in to replace them. So that was a lot of words. But I would look out for. Like what? What is Dell Demps's goals here? What's his initiative? What's his agenda? Because that ultimately, combined with Mrs. Benson, is what's going to determine what happens with Anthony Davis if he turns down the Supermax this summer.
0: Yeah, though you summed it up. You summed it up really well there. I mean, I, you know, I I think that's the biggest thing. If people have to look at because um, I remember I was I was actually interning for for ESPN uh, seven ten back when the first year, well, the only year that they had uh, Dwight and and Steve Nash on the roster and. Uh, Jim Buss, I remember, he, he was a lightning rod here. You know what I mean? Nobody knew. And I, I really think the Lakers not having Dr. Buss around, I mean, after he had passed away, I think that had a huge you know, effect on, on the team and the organization in terms of how it was run. I think Jeannie's done a much better job now when she's kind of stepped into a, more of a prominent role and, and taken over things and handed the reins over to Magic and Rob Polenka. But like, fans don't understand how much the, the team is a reflection of the ownership at the top. Yeah, you couldn't be more accurate there. Look at look at the Nixon Dolan. Look at the
1: Lakers under Jeannie. Look at and now we're looking at the Pelicans. All eyes are on what Mrs. Benson is going to do. And here's the thing is that the Saints are Super Bowl contenders. And I am not lying to you guys from living in that city, especially during the Super Bowl, that they are above religion to a lot of people that work there. I'm sorry, to a lot of people that live there. So with the Saints in the Super Bowl and the trade deadline hovering right around when the Super Bowl is played, you're going to you can bet that all of the attention of that front office is going to be focused on the Saints because they're playing the Super Bowl and they own both teams. And they again, they are combined organizations from ticket sales to all the way to the training staff is shared between the two franchises. So when it's put as that second priority, we're going to find out real quick uh, if Dell Demps has full control, or if he's getting that direction from the top, because they have more than just the Pelicans uh, to look out for.
0: Yeah, they, you know, and you're talking about you know leading up to uh, leading up to that trade deadline, February seventh. Like I'm looking at it, if I'm the Lakers and I'm Rob Planka and I'm Magic Johnson, I'm literally strapping myself in for two weeks and and calling Dell Demps and and trying to make it happen because. They've seen what what the alternative is. When you miss out on a guy like Paul George, you don't go for it because you're confident, hey, he's, he's going to come back home. He's from Palmdale. Um, you know, that's where all the rumors were coming. And then he lo- loved it in OKC enough to, to re-sign with him. And you look at what happened with Kawhi. You know what? They missed out on him. He, he's in Toronto now. Who knows? I mean, the Raptors are playing pretty damn good. And if he enjoys the, the city, judging by the ESPN story I, re- I read a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if, if he's really enjoying it. But that's just Kawhi <laughs> where he's just like, you know, I was reading some of his answers. He's like, well, it's just cold. It's just different. And I'm kind of like, oh, is this guy actually liking it up in, up in Toronto? But uh, um, if you're the Lakers right now, or, or even like, let's look at the Celtics. They have the assets. They have the picks. Not exactly as high as, as they probably thought they were going to be coming into the season. But, um, you know, they have young guys like Jalen Brown. They, they, they can offer it. And, and even Tatum, if you have to, for a guy like Anthony Davis. Um, if you're a betting man, which you are. Uh, What are the who is the odds on favor for you that where do you think Anthony Davis ends up ultimately?
1: Well, he can't end up on the Celtics because of that restricted free agent weird CBA rule that prevents uh, they can't trade for Davis as long as Kyrie's on the roster. So they would technically have to wait for that contract to expire first, I think, before they could trade unless Kyrie's included in the actual trade. so they're kind of stuck until after. Kyrie re-signs, I believe. Um, there's so many freaking semantics in that CBA, but I remember reading that from uh, multiple, multiple sites. So um, that's why the Celtics won't be involved until the summer unless Kyrie's available. But let's say that all playing fields are leveled. Who has more assets? Who has more draft picks? We could argue about this forever, right? So the The Pelicans are going to get exactly what they want because Anthony Davis is a top three basketball player in the world. If they say you're going to give us to the Lakers, you're going to give us Ingram, Lonzo, Hart, Kuzma, and we're going to find ways to match contracts. And that's what we want. And we also want a first round draft pick. You will do anything to get that man in uniform. There's only five players in the NBA probably that you would do that for. You open up the books and you say, take whatever you want. And if you're the Celtics, you've got the likes of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. uh, And again, all these guys in draft picks of when they robbed the Brooklyn Nets. We could. This is something that deserves its own podcast on who has more assets to offer. Um, But ultimately, yeah. Anthony Davis is going to pick which team that he actually wants to play for because he's the one signing the extension. So he does hold some serious power. Um, And yeah, I I don't know if one team has a better chance than the other, uh, but Boston can't be included until the summer.
0: Billy King, you mentioned the Nets. Billy King, worst NBA GM of the modern era. Like, How can you imagine being that bad at your job and having a prominent position like that and just keep getting chances too? Well, here's the th- just
1: what I talked about with Dill Dems, that Prokhorov that summer wanted to take on the Knicks because they had Melo. The Knicks had, uh, I think, somewhat recently made the playoffs too. Like the Knicks were, the Knicks were back in terms of being a somewhat playoff contender in terms of a team that maybe that could win a first round playoff series. He wanted to take on the Knicks who own this city. He was putting up billboards across the street from Madison square garden. And he gave Billy King the directive of go out there and trade the entire future mortgage, everything we have to build me a winning team that I can market right now. Cause he was not going to open Barkley center without a playoff team. You're not opening that, that arena with all that attention and all that money, with a team that's going to go 30 and 52. So that was a business decision. Billy King, I'm sure, was like, are you sure you want to do this? Because in five years, we may really suck when Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce uh, get caught up with by father time. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people understand that Prokhorov was just uh, pretty much the GM there telling Billy King what to do. And now look what's happened now. Prokhorov has pretty much exited the team completely uh, after a very failed experiment. So... Uh, there's always business reasons and transactions that aren't talked about that, you know, are, are the answers.
0: Yeah. But, I, you know, I still look at that, the Billy, the Billy King thing. I'm like, come on, man. Like you're, these guys are getting ready to get their AARP cards and you're shipping, you're you're bringing them into your team. And <laughs> you're right. I mean, people look at it like, um, and, and that, you know, we were talking, you were talking about the Bensons and, and Dell Demps and, and you're looking at it as a whole, like, the owners have so much to do with what happens at the bottom. If something's wrong with the training staff, it might be because the owner is cheaping out and the, the GMs are given a mandate. They have a boss and, and people don't understand that. It's like they direct their attention towards, I, I think with the Knicks, it's been different because, you know, New York is such a big basketball. It's it's the Mecca of basketball. And, um, you know, people are in tune with knowing that, or right, the, the, re- the reason that team hasn't run right is because it's from the top. Whereas when you get into other positions, like with the Lakers, it was, uh, the coaching, the, the, the GM, the, you know, but it's like, no, it, something wasn't right with the direction of the team. And now it looks like the, the ship is starting to get back into wh- where we're used to, which is the Lakers are, are one of the, the NBA's best teams and most relevant. And when they're like that, uh, the league is just a, a better place to be. Um, moving on to uh, another thing I wanted to t- touch on with you, is like, like I would mentioned, you're a gambling man. Um, what's the worst gambling loss you ever had on an NBA game?
1: Oh, man. Uh, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, gosh, like the, the one that comes to mind is like, I bet like it, it was, it was, it's not a big game. it was, it was a preseason game back when Blake Griffin was on the, was on the Clippers and I had a ton of money. It was a again, preseason. So I'm betting big money on a preseason that game. Means which you have a says,
0: problem. Yeah. <laughs> it
1: says everything you need to know. I had a huge amount of money on a preseason game for a variety of reasons, but I remember, whether it was Blake or, God, who hit the shot? Someone just, like, decided to throw a half-court shot up at the buzzer in a completely meaningless moment that nobody cared about but me, and it covered the spread by, like, a half point. He threw it over his head from half-court and went in, and I just had to go for a walk. Uh, (laughs) I remember the spread was six and a half. They were playing the Kings, and it was six and a half, and, and he just throws it practically over his head, and they cut away from they cut away from that, that traditional basketball TV like angle, and they zoom in on the coach. I'm like, did that go in? And, <laughs> and I hear, you can hear when a net snaps. I hear a net snap. I'm like, oh my God, that went in. Did that go in? Why aren't they talking about this? Because again, it's preseason and nobody cares. And I had to wait like 45 seconds to realize that went in, and I couldn't believe it.
0: Oh, that's, that, you know what? That, that's But that's kind of the fun part about, Gambling, right? And like, I mean, I remember like not. No
1: way. Moon no, I mean, it, it, it's I don't kinda, enjoy
0: but that. that's the that's the addicting part, though. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's funny because I was uh, it was during the 07-08 season. Uh, the first time the Celtics had KG Rondo, uh, Pierce. I mean, they were stacked. They were sick, and they were in Dallas. I put, uh, you know, it wasn't a big bet, but for me at the time it was. I put forty bucks on a five team parlay, and I'm I don't ask why. That's such a losing proposition. This was like early in my gambling career. And I'm, uh, I'm watching the game. Boston's up four, and they have to win by five to cover. Paul Pierce at the line, like four seconds left, misses both free throws. And I did the same thing. I'm like, oh, and then obviously you start questioning your entire life decision. You're, you're walking, you know, you're going for a walk and thinking, why am I just a loser? Am I a failure? But you know what? Come the next day, you're ready to throw some money back down, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunately that's the way we operate. And uh, I'll never be broken the way I was uh, during the Super Bowl when the Falcons I had the Falcons money line against the Patriots. And that was probably my biggest bet ever. And that was a moment of reckoning life, examining, <laughs> deciding what I want to do with the rest of my life. And it didn't include <laughs> making big sports bets from that point forward.
0: Oh, you can't. You know what, man? I I, I bet on the NFL uh, and NBA, the two sports I probably bet on the, the most. But uh it's funny like even after I lose some of those where you see it and because at first you're, you're, you're mad at the TV and You're like what like what, what just happened there? Like how can that how can that be? How did that play go down? And then you start thinking that play only happened because you were meant to lose on, on your bet <laughs> You never never mind the team that lost you take it so damn personally,
1: right? Yeah, you never remember the ones that you win like that, but you always remember the ones you lose. It's funny how that works
0: I don't think I've I don't think I've won many like that. To be, to be honest, I don't think there's many to remember. <laughs> That's exactly why you just answered the question yourself. Um, you know, you, you joke, you make a reference to it a lot uh, on your Twitter account, uh, which is great. Again, you can follow him at Worldwide Um That's all W's, by the way. Uh, you love uh, the petty wars in the NBA, guys. You know, clapping at each other. You always, you're always the first with the clips. So you're great at doing that, talking smack. Um, who are the five? You know, four or five. Let's say pettiest players in the league to you
1: i think westbrook's got to be at the top of that list i mean it just never stops with that man he's always interjecting himself into those moments but he never he's always wants to fight but he never fights right he's always just trying to piss you off you've got westbrook you've got Joel Embiid is obviously a multi-talented troll artist whether it's on the court clapping in your face directing you to the bench Trash talking and then hitting you on Instagram after tagging you in locations and such. Uh, Those two stand out to me as as up there. Now, LeBron LeBron is very calculated with his social media um, and what he does on the court to kind of get under people's skin. He's a surgeon with the keyboard. I swear, like. when When the Kyrie thing was going down and he was tweeting out like lyrics from Drake and we soon find out that, hey, I was at the Drake concert, but those lyrics just perfectly lined up with the Kyrie situation. I'm like, that is so smart because he can continue just to fall back on it. He knows exactly what he's doing. So I don't know if that makes him petty. I think that just makes him incredibly gifted in terms of uh, always being one step ahead, playing chess, not checkers, but uh, most definitely... Westbrook and Embiid are one-two.
0: What like uh, when you look at the league as, as a whole? You know, the NBA has grown much in popularity, and partly, uh, you know, to me is uh, is the access to the players, like you mentioned. And it's fun to see when guys have a personality. Like I love when uh, uh, Westbrook is doing, you know, the baby cradle thing back at people, or the arrogance, which you only see once every ten games. Lance actually. Decent, you know what I mean? Where it's actually relevant to happen. But um, why do you think the NBA has grown so much in popularity over the over the last, you know, seven, eight years?
1: Well, yeah. Well, now that you just mentioned Rock in the cradle, I forgot rock in the cradle. I forgot Lance existed there for a second. So they're <laughs> included on that list of, of petty trolls in the NBA as well. Uh, to answer your question about the growth of the league, you know, part of it is because they do have this loose policy of Social media sharing clips and such—they're not. It's technically not legal, but they don't really enforce uh, shutting down sharing clips. I think Adam Silver has alluded to, like videos and gifs on the internet as snacks for fans that aren't diehard NBA, you know, cult members like like ourselves and everyone listening to this. um, That it's a way for them to get introduced to the product. So he's completely okay with it. And I think you know just how. I I don't want to get like political with this, but they seem to be on top of every issue. They listen to their players uh, when there's something that comes up in the social or political sphere, you know, they always do seem uh, to be have an open mind to what everyone is saying versus just a directive. And that, that goes all the way down to social media as well and marketing. So when you are expanding to the China's and the Philippines and Australia, like these are the biggest sports in these countries now. And I, I, attribute a lot of that to the expansion on the internet like there was a time when you couldn't put a video on twitter there was a time when vine existed or periscope wasn't around and NBA fans and the NBA has always been one, the NBA is a business and an organization has always been one step ahead of the technology. So they're always integrating ways to look what just happened this week. They're coming out with a feed on Twitter that you can sit there and just watch one player and you can vote on what the player is. Are we going to watch that instead of the main broadcast? Probably not. But if you're someone that's young or someone from a different country or someone that never liked the NBA in the past, this is a different way for you to get involved with the game. So the originality, the the all these different options that they offer uh, has really put them above the rest, at least in my opinion
0: yeah I like I'm I'm Canadian and and you know being from Canada, obviously hockey the NHL is huge there and I, and I find that too like they've just had a lack of uh, aggressiveness in, in trying to capitalize on what social media has brought and and you look at the like you mentioned the players and they're they're so active on Twitter and even the jokes I mean you mentioned MB like he'll go on there and trust the process and, and talk and smack to Andre Drummond like you just don't see that in the NHL because it's not encouraged and I think that has hugely spurred the NBA into being where it's at today. I mean, ratings are at all time high, Uh, obviously revenues are great with the new TV contract. And and you're seeing that. I mean, like you, like you mentioned the the Twitter thing, like, uh, you know, what other league is trying to stay on top of things? And you have the NFL, who's like the, the fun police, you know, they're trying to stop you from, from putting up a a GIF or anything like that. So uh, I, I definitely think the NBA, you know, transitioning and Adam Silver being at the at the forefront of that, they've embraced kind of what the new age has bought with technology. Um, you know, you, for you personally, like you had mentioned, you were working with the Hornets beforehand um, and, and you kind of decided to venture off and start your own ticketing company and uh, you you started doing your, your passion at that point, which is NBA content. Uh, when did you first start feeling like, you know what, all right, I'm getting some traction doing this in the sports media landscape?
1: I would say the year was probably... I, I just talked about vine and Periscope so uh, we exited our ticket company around 2012 which kind of freed me up to go back to just talking about the NBA full-time and right you know, I was just I was blogging on Tumblr and doing the same things I'm doing now and there was never, I never had a Ken Bone moment. If you remember who Ken Bone yeah, was, it was yeah. that guy guy from the debates that just went like hockey stick viral overnight because of one question in his funky red sweater. I never had my Ken Bone moment. You know, I was just always st- doing what I did, which was talking about the NBA, cracking a couple jokes and trying to break it down in a way that wasn't done in the past. So when I evolved with the technology the same way the NBA has, and you Real quick, you talked about it before how the NHL and the NFL can be the fun police. Those superstars also have helmets on too. Like we can see and engage with the human emotion of these NBA players. And there's so many superstars to choose from. There's like 30, 35 guys that everyone in this world might recognize. That feels like WWE attitude era type of popularity. So using that I kind of at that moment in 2012, 2013 was finding ways to watch the NBA that no one was because I'm never going to be like a Zach Lowe. I can't break down X's and O's and talk about flex cuts and elevator screens the way that they do. But what I can do is I saw something that happened in this game and I'm sure everyone did as well. So I'm going to try and illustrate the game in a way that wasn't done before. So when 2014 came around, that's when Vine started. And it allowed me to actually put into moving pictures, six-second clips, the things that I'm talking about, I can actually show them to you now. We go to 2015, Periscope becomes an option. Periscope is this, it seems faint now, but at the time, it was this revolutionary way to connect with people on the internet in real time. In 2019, that's like the most simple thing in the world. In 2015, just four years ago, it wasn't. So as soon as I saw that was available on, on Twitter or just on the internet, period, I tried it out, and I was doing post-game reactions to big games, and I'm like, wow, there's 50 people in here. What if I actually did this at a normal hour uh, and talked about something of substance versus asking their opinions on how to cook pizza rolls? And 50 became 500, which became 5,000. And it just slowly over time kind of built up, and we built this audience that uh, we like to watch the game in a certain way. And uh, that's the network I think I've created. And I'm not doing anything different, <laughs> you know, versus 2012. It's still the same guys has the same diet and still talking about the same thing. So I think sticking to that, and uh, kind of just owning that one space is what has gotten me to this point today.
0: Would you look at, you know, and you've done an awesome job, like I said, I mean, I love, I, I look forward to, you know, checking Twitter whenever I can, even when I'm watching games myself. And because if, if I miss something, I know you're going to be, be the one who, who catches it. And even the little nuances that I might not realize that some guy has said something or whispered something to somebody at the free throw line. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I, I'll pick up on that with, uh, with you. Ultimately, I'll get you out of here on this one. Um, wh- where do you, what's your ultimate goal? Where do you see, hope to see yourself five years from now?
1: Wow. Um... I do get asked this question from time to time. Uh, You know, in the way I answer it is just, I'd like to just expand what we're doing. I don't think there's an answer of, uh, I want to be on the sidelines or I want to be prime time on a network television show. If that happens organically, that's great. And if I had an actual answer for this, I'd be trying trying to do it at this very moment versus five years from now. So, so the way I'll answer that is whether it's Periscope or the show Buckets that we had, what we're doing at the Action Network currently, just expanding the audience and getting more national slash even global recognition for the way that we're watching the game. I just want to share uh, the experience that I have with the NBA with more people.
0: All right, man. You know what? I'm sure whatever you do, uh, wherever you end up going, whatever path you take, uh, I'm sure you're going to kick ass at it because it's been, it's been fun being a follower of you and, and checking out all your work online. Uh, thanks again for taking the time out to do this, man. Really appreciate it. You got it, man. T- right. Thanks for the time. Oh, no, no, no problem, man. We'll do it again soon. That is Worldwide Rob, real name Rob Perez. You can check him out on Twitter. Uh, don't forget, subscribe to our podcast. You can do that on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, whatever your flavor is. You can check us out there. And also, don't forget, go to Lakers uh, SBN, our website, silverscreenandroll.com. Update a daily. Harrison, Christian, Anthony, the whole crew got you covered for everything Lakers. I'll be back with you guys next week. I'm going to be uh, sitting with Rat Sohi of Yahoo Sports. So if you have any questions, you can ask me on Twitter for her, at JazKang21. I'll check you guys out then.